0: Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill-Smith, and this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. Dumb, dumb, dumb,
1: So welcome to episode 76. Welcome back, everybody.
0: How is your week? My week was uh, real busy with work. Just real busy. How about you? It was fine, busy with work, but I just need to formally apologize to Embark, which was- To what? The- Embark, which was the- um, I left last week's episode in a tizzy. Okay. I was very <laughs> upset. I had just read my dog's DNA results, and I wasn't prepared to receive that answer yeah you were you were gonna get your money back you were gonna go full karen i was about to and i believe i said fuck you embark i did. dead i do (laughs) do you think you said that i recall that i had time to process Uh (laughs) (laughs) i googled a couple of things happened it said that she was a rottweiler And a lab mixed with, but it did say that she was also mixed with shih tzu and poodle. And I googled like what a Rottweiler poodle or Rottweiler shih tzu mixes look like and they look just like her, (laughs) just like her. And then I was like, this is actually kind of awesome because I do love Rottweilers and shih tzus are known to be cuddly and poodles are known to be smart and labs are always great dogs and i was like maybe she's perfect and that was them just trying to let me know and i was just i had in my (laughs) head i thought i was told she was a wire fox terrier so when i didn't see that i got upset but you know what i think that this is um everybody wins and also, Embark will send you, they'll show you pictures of dogs that have the same, not exact, they're not the same DNA, but they're the same genetic makeup, meaning yeah. breeds. And they're, this dog that they sent me looked just like Ruth, just wow. like her. And it was, oh, she was a Rottweiler too. So, I Jen, apologize. Trust science. I have trust, trust in science. science. As was my friend Kristen when I told her um, <laughs> <laughs> she just said she just said lol or whatever, or ha, ha ha, I can't remember. Uh she goes back and forth between the ha I think she's a ha. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, yeah, she laughed. And, a, a and a then har. I was like, this is bullshit. And she was like, It's science. You can't question science. <laughs> I was like, but is it bullshit? Science? <laughs> No. It's true.
1: Embark is wrong. My dog's not a Rottweiler
0: and there is no virus. Yes. (laughs) Wait, what? I won't wear a mask. Um, (laughs) But sorry, Embark. Sorry to all of you. I'm sorry that you had to see me like that. (laughs) oh man you really did you had a hard time with that
1: <laughs> and I'm so glad we captured it live on air <laughs> oh man I have an apology okay. I said uh, last week or a couple weeks ago that I was proud to live in Georgia and then I said that's not something I ever thought I'd say and I feel like it came out as though I never thought I would be proud of Georgia but what mm. i meant to say what i meant was that i never thought i would live in georgia i was so going to say i was well, not proud from to georgia, live in georgia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that is that's what i meant all of our georgia listeners or especially people in atlanta i i love living here we're happy living here it is not somewhere i ever thought i would live so that's what i meant and also i mean we all know georgia's a little fucked up so
0: you know you guys get it <laughs> And now Sally will sing for you her rendition of Georgia. Okay. Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Georgia. Dude, okay. you got a really great quickies. singing voice. Okay.
1: Thank you. Let's really, do some cookies. I really dug deep for that one. <laughs> hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. So, okay, got my quickie this week from the New York Post and from Vice, uh, articles by Yarrow Steinbuck and oh, Laura
0: Wagner. no. <laughs> I'm staring at the exact same quickie, but no! I have a backup quickie, so we're all good. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen, but you, okay, share. Okay. Uh, and Vice <laughs> by Laura Wagner. Okay. So,
1: Jen, we yeah. know that there are all sorts of people who are getting in trouble on Zoom, Right? Like people not wearing pants in meetings. Uh, my favorite one was like very early in the choir. There was a woman named Rachel on Twitter who posted a picture of her work meeting. Mm-hmm. And she said, My boss turned herself into a potato on our Microsoft Teams meeting and can't figure out how to turn the setting off. So she was just stuck like this the entire meeting. And it's oh, like no. a picture of one box is a potato, <laughs> and then the other one are the other people in the meeting. And, uh, and it went viral because people were like, this is hilarious. And then her boss, whose name is Lizette Ocampo, luckily has a great sense of humor. And she posted, I am potato boss. <laughs> and then <it laughs> said, I am glad this is making folks laugh at this time. Please stay planted at home and safe for more laughs. Follow my favorite comedian, Cristella Alonzo. potato out. Hashtag potato boss. (laughs) I thought it was pretty cute. I'll post that picture. It makes me laugh every time. You probably also heard about the story about the reporter Jeffrey Tubin. Yeah got caught on a Zoom meeting. Right. He masturbating, we all know. Um, Yeah. So he, you know, he was like, I made a stupid mistake. I thought the camera was off. I thought I was
0: muted. And it's like, I don't care what you think. Like I mean, isn't anybody looking for the light? On don't jerk the, off on yeah. <laughs> the top of the computer. You do know that that means your camera's on. right? Your or camera's on. Don't you? Yeah, I weird. It's not. I guess like, you know, it was like a simulation oh, you for know the what? election. I bet I know what's happening. I bet I know what's happening. People what? that um, jerk off to their computers, <laughs> they put a little piece of paper on the camera part so that – well, no, because then that wouldn't have then never they wouldn't mind. Because then they wouldn't have known. I was gonna say he probably covered his camera, but then if he covered then his nobody camera, nobody would have seen him. Yeah. With his dick out. Yeah. But
1: you know, this is like something that has been happening in okay. the pandemic. So in August, as I'm assuming you know, because this was what you were gonna talk about as well, there was a group of Rio de, Rio de Janeiro leaders who were no, on totally different, totally different. Oh.
0: Well, Just job. the same author
1: for same the New writer. York Post. Apparently, yeah. the, this person writer. writes the best,
0: <laughs> yeah. writes the
1: best articles.
0: Okay, go um, ahead.
1: They were having, it was a, a group of like council leaders, they were having a Zoom meeting about school meals and- one of the staff members who was there to like take notes and stuff forgot to turn off his camera and started having sex in the background. Oh no! And yeah, so the seven Brazilian counselors all like nobody, nobody laughed, nobody pointed it out,
0: nobody and shut their the computers just... off.
1: <laughs> nobody, everybody was just like, "Keep going, keep going, all right." Because this is all, of course, going out live to the public because it's a public. Council meeting. So it's oh, not yeah, just yeah, like yeah. their meeting. So they were like, as soon as we noticed it happening, we immediately asked people controlling the audio and video of the participants to take it off the feed because it's going out live. And they said, us counselors and other participants don't have any input in controlling or editing videos on Zoom. And they actually said that the council meeting that was about how to guarantee food for students during the pandemic continued for four more hours after the peep show. What? <laughs> yeah, so they basically just were like, we didn't point it out. They didn't, Nobody said anything about it. They just shut off the staff member's feed and then went on with their business. I guess people are just more open in Rio. Oh, wow. It is Brazil.
0: So. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, that's my quickie. Oh, wow. So that's pretty great. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I mean, I would just – I feel like I would just immediately shut my computer if I saw it. If you saw someone having sex? Yeah. Or going to the I bathroom. I be like, ah! <laughs> I keep hearing about all these people. Like I, a friend of mine was telling me about how on her school Zoom meeting that one of the teachers or whatever was talking. And then they're like, what is she? Oh, she's doing it. She's doing it. And she like goes into the – she puts her computer on the bathroom floor, takes her pants down, goes to the <gasps> bathroom, just totally doesn't think that people can see her. <laughs> the my teacher? S- yeah, oh my sister my God. was telling me about a Zoom meeting she was on where, like, I guess the guy didn't realize that his computer was on or the sound was on, and he mm-hmm. was like screaming at his child that, like, kind of like you know that scream that you don't ever want anybody to hear you scream at your kid out of frustration,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> right? Where they're like, it's just like "I do shut up!" <laughs> yeah. and uh, just like I I keep hearing about all of these things and I sometimes I'll be like you know in my room doing whatever and then all of a sudden a kid comes in with a computer and the camera's on asking yeah. me a question and I'm like I could be changing right now what the hell but I feel yeah, like yeah I heard a mom
1: who said that happened to her where like she's like getting dressed totally no top or anything on and the kid bursts into the room and was like I don't know how to turn off my like how to turn off this the school thing, and it was like facing at her, and all of
0: like the students saw her boobs. Oh my god! <laughs> oh. That's see, that's what I'm afraid of, and I've, and I've had sometimes. Sometimes I sing weird things to be funny. Around mm-hmm. my house, I am. I can be very strange.
1: <laughs> and I was singing, like,
0: uh, I think I had just watched a uh, chorus line. And so I was, uh-huh. like, screaming a chorus line at the top of my lungs in the kitchen just to annoy my family. And yeah. then I didn't realize that uh, Louise was, like, mid-classroom. <laughs> but anyway, They're like, oh, you is, know Louise's mom. She's a comedian. She's a really bad <laughs> singer. Um, <laughs> one singular sensation (laughs) um anyway (laughs) but my point is that if i saw somebody embarrassing themselves i feel like my and my gut reaction would be to just slam my computer shut like sorry 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 like i would feel bad like uh, like i did something wrong to them you know what (laughs) i mean (laughs) like i don't want to be there the moment that they realize yeah. On camera. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to see that. That would just kill me. Yeah. Oh my God. Um <laughs> all right. Uh, good quickie, dude. Okay. Good quickie. What you got? My quickie also comes from the New York Post and is also written by Yaron uh, Steinbuck. And I totally thought of you when I did this one because this is so just like one you would have chosen. Okay. Or is it I a couple like... caught
1: having sex? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's exactly what it is (laughs) i love people getting caught (laughs) yes so um just last week a florida come they're always from florida uh 39 year old amber gormley and 30 year old sean mcclelland on saturday in largo which is a city near tampa bay um They were on an open area location of a busy area on the highway. What? On the highway where people – where drivers were just – like hundreds and hundreds of motorists were passing them and in plain sight can see them having sex on the middle of the highway where he was (laughs) apparently – performing oral sex on her and as well as certain pen these are their words yarn's words as well as certain penetrative acts with his fingers
1: okay. oh why is that the worst I don't know it
0: just sounds <laughs> so um oh. so... Gormley and McClellan were charged with lewd and lascivious exhibition, which is a felony, and they were held on a $10,000 bond. Um, but they were also hit with a misdemeanor charge of possession of... Math! Close. Synthetic <laughs> marijuana.
1: Oh, okay. Which
0: is... Um, so bad for you it's just garbage garbage chemicals that make you insane and then also he was convicted in 2018 on a misdemeanor charge of for stealing cat litter and peppermint tea from a walmart (laughs) and if that ain't the most florida fucking shit you ever heard in your goddamn life (laughs) i don't know what is yeah so and then (laughs) um, gorman florida her
1: rap sheet. In- caught. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Real
0: math. Um, so, her rap sheet includes convictions for theft, drug possession, po- possession of burglary burglary tools, and she's also facing a pending charge of possession of
1: Meth. math. Math. <laughs> <laughs> I knew one of these had to be math.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm always so- gonna
0: guess math. We are the worst. We're the worst.
1: <laughs> there oh, you have it's gonna it. It's going to be real sad when five years from now we both have a meth problem be like, this is because we made so much fun of math users.
0: <sighs> not even one time. <laughs> meth. <laughs> or I think it's meth, not even once. I think the billboard says. Not yeah. even once. Um, not even so once. So there you go. There you have it. There's a uh, Sally esque. I love it. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally.
1: You know how we just talked about math? Yes. Well, my crazy story today has got a lot of math in it. Wow. <laughs> Happy We're Thanksgiving. Just, like, Happy Thanksgiving to you. Okay, so I got my information from the bbc.com from a dateline called the Carrollton Plot. A really great article in D magazine by Michael Mooney an article in the Huffington Post, and an article in the Daily Mail. So, okay. So on August 18th, 2012, 53-year-old Nancy Howard hosted a woman's tea at the First Baptist Church in Carrollton, Texas. So she and her husband, Frank, were really active in the church. In fact, it was a running joke among their children that if the doors to First Baptist were open, their parents were probably inside. So in fact, after she had cleaned up after the tea, she had gone home for just a few minutes and then she returned to the church for the baptism of a family friend. And by the time she left church that night, it was 7.30 p.m. and she was starving. And so she decided to stop for food on her way home. Frank was away on a business trip and her three children were now grown and no longer living at home. So she was on her own. So she stopped, she got tacos, and she headed home. She pulled into the garage and she got out of the car. She had her purse and her taco bag. And she was really tired from this long day. And she just wanted to spend the night watching TV. But before she could close the garage door, she felt someone put his arm around her neck. Oh, no. And then with his other arm, he put a gun to the side of her head. (gasps) He told her to give him her purse. And Nancy was just so thrown by what was happening that the words hadn't quite caught up with her. So she somehow just like wrestled away from him and turned to face the man. And in front of her was a young man that she had never seen before. He was wearing a baseball hat and he was holding a silver gun and he (sighs) yelled, give me your purse. (sighs) And she was just so flustered that she had her purse on one hand and her taco bag in the other. And so she hands him the tacos and he just gets super angry. And so she shoves her purse at the man and pushed him back a step, but it wasn't enough to move him The man lifted the gun and pointed it at her, and Nancy said the only thing she could, Jesus save me, and then the man pulled the trigger. (gasps) A bullet went in her head at the temple, went down her sinus sinus cavity, and finally lodged itself in her lung. The man took her purse and left Nancy bleeding to death on the garage floor. But Nancy was not ready to die. She lay on her garage floor unconscious until she heard a voice telling her to get up. There was no one there. And to Nancy, the voice she heard was the voice of God. (gasps) She pulled herself across the garage floor. She fought. She was fighting hard to catch her breath uh, because she had a bullet in her lung. And so blood was like gurgling up. Her cell phone was gone because it was in the purse. And so she headed towards her car. She got to the car. She managed to open the door and was able to pull herself up enough to reach the on button. But apparently because she didn't have the keys, which were also in her purse, it didn't work. Somehow through some like I, she, she has no idea how she had the strength. She was able to get herself into her house. And as she made her way to her home phone, she passed a mirror. And that is when she realized she had been shot oh in the head. God. She actually didn't realize what had happened. And there was a hole where her left eye should be. Oh, my God. I know. So she got to the phone and dialed 911. She was scared that she was going to die alone. And she asked the 911 operator to stay on the line with her until the police got there. And somehow she managed to stay conscious and actually opened the door for the ambulance and police when they got there a few minutes later. Nancy was taken to the hospital. She was put into a medically induced coma because she had to have surgery. A policeman at the scene knew the family, and so he contacted Nancy's children to tell them what had happened. The kids phoned their father, Frank, who was away on a business trip. One of Nancy's daughters said that when they called, Frank began weeping, and he was out of control trying to figure out how to get home to rescue his wife. Once Frank was able to fly back home, he immediately went to visit his wife of almost 30 years at the hospital, she was still unconscious, and he was in such distress when he first saw her that he fell to the floor. Nancy and Frank had actually met at church in San Marcos, Texas. They had both sang in the church choir. Frank had been married before when he was in college, and Nancy had actually been at their ceremony, but that marriage ended very quickly, and soon Nancy and Frank were together. They got married in 1983, and Frank's dad, who was a minister, ended up marrying them. And Nancy said, we really had an awesome marriage. Obviously, you go through your ups and downs. I mean, we weren't perfect. We had our issues from time to time, and we always worked through those. They had three kids, Ashley, Jay, and Brianna, and settled into a comfortable life in Carrollton, Texas. Frank was an accountant who had a successful accounting firm. And Nancy stayed home, and she raised the children, and she kept their household running. She served on the PTA. She volunteered for almost every school trip. Nancy and Frank taught Bible study together. Their kids always joked that their family was basically the Cleavers. They were always together. They had game nights. They used to do like a Howard family variety hour. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I mean, they would all go to each other's soccer games and the kids were in school plays. And even though Nancy was a stay-at-home mom, Frank was very involved. And Nancy said he was very kind, gentle, loving. He coached soccer teams when the When they were little kids, we all went to all their soccer games. Frank said we were always together as a family unit. In 2009, Frank got a new client. He was a defense contractor named Richard Raley who had made millions and millions in Afghanistan and Iraq. And he needed someone to help manage his money and help bring it back from Iraq. And so... Frank started as his accountant and quickly became the CFO of this company. Wow. And his new position meant that he had to travel often. He went to California, to Europe, to Florida, to Kuwait, all on the company's private jet. So while wow. he was making more money, I know, he was also away quite a bit. So this increased travel also coincided with the kids leaving the house. You know, they graduated from high school, going away to college. And Frank says that having been such a tight-knit family, that becoming empty nesters was really hard for the couple. And by 2012, both of the older kids were married, and the youngest, Brianna, was away at college. And Nancy says, I was a stay-at-home mom, and that was my job. And once they started leaving, it was getting hard for me. And then he started getting more busy at work, and I guess you would say it felt like we were growing in distance apart. Right. But their distance wasn't something the couple felt was going to break them. They'd been through tough times before. Nancy struggled with depression and the chronic pain of fibromyalgia, and at one point Frank had battled prostate cancer. And while the the health problems were stressful, the couple said that they came through them with a stronger bond and a stronger faith. They always discussed every major business decision, every big purchase. They always worked together to present a united front to their children. And above all else, they valued family. And that is what they taught their kids. And that is what they tried to do together. So everyone was overjoyed when the doctors told them that despite her need for multiple surgeries, that Nancy was going to recover. And she actually, despite being shot in the head, she was out of the ICU within a few days, although she would need to stay in the hospital for a few weeks. And so when Frank got back to Carrollton after Nancy was shot, Police asked him to come in to speak with them, to fill in some of the background of the family and to try to figure out who could have done this. There had been a spate of break-ins in the neighborhood, and police thought this might have been part of that. And the children had already told police that Nancy was known to be kind of a soft touch, that she would help anyone in trouble, Mm. and that just the week before, she had answered the door to a stranger who was asking for money and had invited them inside. And neighbors and Frank confirmed this. Everybody knew this about Nancy. But then police found Nancy's purse, and it still had her credit cards in it. And they were like, hmm, this is yeah. – they went from thinking this was like a random robbery to a targeted shooting. But they were like, who would want to hurt this sweet church lady? You know. Yeah. And Frank had no answers. Police asked him to give them his cell phone to confirm the calls he said he'd made to Nancy the day of the shooting. And he handed it over without hesitation. Frank said he wanted to do anything he could to help the police figure out what happened to Nancy, but he also knew that once he handed over his phone, that a secret he'd been hiding for three years was going to come out. Oh,
0: no. He
1: had been having an affair.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh. So Frank had met a woman named Suzanne Leontiff while he was on a business trip in Lake Tahoe in 2009. She was there with her two teenage daughters for a softball tournament. And Suzanne was in her early 50s like Frank. Uh, She was this cute blonde. She had a teeny tiny little voice. And she was going through a divorce herself. And Frank told her that he was married, but that it wasn't going well. And they exchanged phone numbers. And through the next week, they talked and they texted constantly. And Nancy happened to be out of the country on a mission trip in Africa at the time with their youngest daughter. So Frank was... Free to carry on this new relationship. He invited Suzanne to meet him in Reno for the weekend, and she did. And a week after they met, Suzanne says Frank was talking about divorce constantly. A few weeks later, as Frank was creating holding corporations to move the new company that he was working for, Richard Rayleigh's Money, he named three of the companies after Suzanne. One was called SLH, as in Suzanne Leontiff Howard. Wow. As as if they were married.
0: That's some fucking balls. Right?
1: After three weeks. Um, Oh, my God. Okay, so, yeah. So Frank and Suzanne had actually been seeing each other every few weeks for the last three years. And he was acting as if, I mean, he assured her he was going to get a divorce. He always had some excuse for why he couldn't. But in the meanwhile, he was... Basically funding her life. He was paid for softball tournaments. He helped pay for Suzanne's oldest daughter to go to college. In January of 2010, he bought Suzanne a house in Santa Cruz worth $900,000 paying cash. He bought a condo in Tahoe worth nearly $380,000. He took her on trips. He flew her to various cities to watch football and basketball games, even brought her to the Super Bowl one year and took her and her daughters to the Bahamas for seven days.
0: Whoa. And, of course,
1: on his phone was evidence of this affair. He had texts from her and photos of the two of them dating back over the last three years. And he knew police would find it, so he came clean to his family. He called his children crying and told them what he'd done. He called Nancy, still in the hospital, and he confessed, but he told them he had nothing to do with the shooting. He told Nancy that he was sorry and that he loved her, and she was heartbroken, but she believed him, and so did the children, and they all worried that the affair was going to make him look guilty. And of course, since we all know how these things go, Frank did look guilty to the police, but then two things happened that made them think twice about Frank being involved. So first, a fellow police officer told investigators about a weird traffic stop they'd made a few weeks earlier. So they had pulled over an 18-year-old named Dustin Hirams and his friend, Jason Redeen. They had been driving through Nancy's neighborhood near her house, and they had both been high on Meth.
0: Math. And
1: math. And when they asked, were asked what they were doing in the neighborhood, Dustin was nervous and he started stammering about, we're looking for my uncle's house. And then he was like, uh, my stepdad's house. And then he said, it's just a family friend we're looking for called John. And then he blurts out, he's like, I'm a hitman and I was hired to, by John to kill a woman. Oh my God. Yeah. So <sighs> Dustin and Jason were taken to the Carrollton police station. A report was filed, but officers figured that the hitman stuff was just crazy ramblings of a meth head. And so Dustin yeah. was let out a day later and the police actually showed Nancy a photo array that included Dustin and Jason, but she did not identify either of the men as the shooter. And she told police that she was certain she had gotten a good look at the man who'd shot her. So then police got a call from an inmate named Billy Earl Johnson, that he had information about the shooting so Billy Earl Johnson was Dustin Hiram's stepfather and when they talked to Billy Earl he told them well first Billy he told Earl. he was like he was like Dustin's Dustin's an idiot he couldn't even put antifreeze in a truck <laughs> like this. He's he's a very colorful character. So he said, in exchange for dropping the meth charges against Billy Earl, because Billy Earl was in jail at the time, he said, I'll tell you all about a man named John paid him and many of his family members to kill Nancy Howard. Oh my God. So he eventually told police that two years earlier, he'd gotten a call out of the blue. And the man on the phone had introduced himself as John. He told Billy that he'd heard of him and he was hoping he might help with a job. He said, I need you to kill someone. And Billy says, all right, straight up off the couch. And they agreed to meet up at a Western wear store. And when Billy got there, he saw a man in a gray Lexus. And this man, John, gave Billy $60,000 Along with a photo of Nancy Howard, and he just told Billy to make it look like an accident. Oh God! So this m- meeting started what the article in D Magazine described as a Cohen Brothers esque tale of greed and ineptitude. And wow! I truly recommend reading articles. There's so many layers and people involved in this that I couldn't quite fit all. I don't. It wouldn't make sense me telling them all, uh-huh. but I definitely recommend you reading this article it's called how not to get away with
0: murder oh, wow. <laughs> that sounds like lot. the title of a cohen brothers movie
1: yes yeah so so billy got this money the after the first meeting and he immediately spent the money on meth and was going around ha- handing out a hundred dollar bills to everyone he knew and of course they live in this like well, little least, east texas know,
0: town he's a gracious meth addict you know that's pretty oh yeah nice. but ba- i mean he bought like, every like bucks
1: yeah, he spent this sixty thousand dollars within weeks, like, wow. and he was so pretty soon, of course, he had all this myth. He was arrested for possession. And when he got out of jail, he hit up John for more money. They met again. This time Billy's wife Stacy was there. John gave Billy thirty five thousand dollars this time. And when they met up, Stacy snapped a picture of John. Just in case. And she sent it to her mom and was like, I just want you to have this. And her mom was like, why? She's like, just in case. Just in case something happens.
0: Oh, wow. So
1: Billy spent that second bunch of money the way he went through the first. And he said, I went through it the way a kid goes through diapers. And then he (laughs) said that he could wipe his ass with it. And so soon not only Billy but other members of his family and friends all wanted in on it. So they were all extorting money from John. A friend of Billy's named Charlie said he went with Billy multiple times to pick up large sums of cash cash from John. He said they met outside of Walmart and in a corporate parking garage. Charlie said he once counted out $83,000 on his bedroom floor and then watched as Billy traded stacks of money for bags of meth. And Charlie remembers John telling them to make it look like a robbery or to shoot Nancy while she was at a book club meeting. Oh, man. So – They always, this gang always had like an excuse for John of why they couldn't do the job. Like every time they got in place to do it, something went wrong. They got slowed down. They got too wasted to leave the hotel room or they were in jail. And uh, each time Billy had a new excuse and John seemed to grow increasingly frustrated, but he kept handing over the money. First through cash and then through wire transfers. And while this gang of meth heads was like, You know, kind of like a bumbling idiot. Like actually on Dateline, they called them the Hee-Haw gang. Oh my goodness. But they also were smart enough to keep track of every payment. And so over time it actually added up to more than a million dollars in cash and another million dollars in bail bonds. Oh my God. Wow. So at one point, Billy and Stacy were arrested in a best western in Wood County. At, with more than $10,000 in cash and enough meth to get felony trafficking charges. Holy and while shit. she was in jail, Stacy actually told an FBI agent about the elaborate plot to kill Nancy. And she said it was such an outlandish story, people didn't believe it. And Charlie actually had also told the authorities about the plot. This was all before it happened. So during, while he was in jail he described how Billy was stringing John, al- John along and how John wanted Nancy killed and nobody believed Charlie either. So this is now three people who've told the police that somebody wants to kill Nancy and are paying them, but because it's a bunch of meth heads- Oh my God. Nobody believes them. <sighs> so I know. So by the summer of 2012, Billy and Stacy were arrested again. And this time when Stacy called John from jail- he said, I'm not going to give you the money to get out. He said he had given money to Billy's nephew, Michael Speck, and that Michael was going to do the job. And then Billy tells the police at this point. So now after this is after the shooting, when he is telling them all this, Billy tells the police, oh, by the way, I have a photo of John. And when the fo- when the authorities see that picture that Stacy took, they recognize the man immediately because John Is Frank Howard. Oh my God. Like now, do you believe me? Holy shit. Yeah, Frank's full name is John Franklin Howard. Oh, wow. So, police discovered that on the night that Nancy is shot, they see video surveillance of a silver Nissan following her out of the church parking lot. And they were actually able to prove that Billy's nephew, Michael Speck, and Michael's former cellmate, a man named Michael Lawrence, had rented that silver Nissan and that they had been the ones to shoot Nancy. And in fact, when they came back from the shooting, Michael Lawrence had confessed to his fiance about what they had done. And then she told the police. So, okay, so police go to arrest Frank in his home, and Nancy is shocked. She is sure there is a mistake. In fact, nobody believed it. His neighbors and his church members actually went to his bail hearing and bonded him out, and they all spoke on his behalf. His children were adamant that his the father they knew could have nothing to do with this. And actually, while Frank was out on bail before his trial, their daughter, Brianna, got married. And as part of the bond agreement, he was not allowed to go near Nancy or her children. But because she wanted her daughter to have the wedding of her dreams, Nancy wrote to the court and asked if they could relax the conditions of Frank's bail for one weekend so that he could attend and he and Nancy walked Brianna down the aisle together. Oh, wow. Yeah, nuts. And Nancy says it was hard, but it was a joyous time. So Frank went to trial Ugh. in 2014, and police brought all the members of the Hee Haw Gang. I that know had that met I Frank would and- be that. Ugh, God. I know. Nancy. Isn't that? I mean, she's yeah. just like, she's like, Jesus told me to forgive. So oh, she man. just. She, you know, she's like, everything's for my kids. They came together for their kids once again. And wow. So at the trial, all of the members of the Heehaw gang that had met Frank as John over the years came and they all testified to the same story. They brought in Frank's boss, Richard Rayleigh, and he testified that he had discovered that Frank had been embezzling embe- from his company possibly as much as $30 million dollars. Holy shit. Apparently he had all these like secret accounts set up all over millions of dollars in them that he had just skimmed off the top because of course this is some shady government contractor in Iraq making all this money and they don't and even know where the, they have so much money they don't even know where it's going. Like he didn't even know 30 million dollars was missing.
0: Wow. And so he's just spending it all on this other woman while he's married. Spending
1: it all on this woman, spending it all to get his wife killed. So and that. <laughs> both I guess. Yeah, or not killed. But both Suzanne and Suzanne, the mistress, and Nancy testified against Frank. And prosecutors said that in addition to wanting his wife to be dead because he had this new woman, that Frank must have known that a divorce would have exposed his embezzlements. Mm-hmm. So they played the calls that Frank had made to Billy in jail, where he talked about paying Michael Speck for the job. They connected a, fr- a burner phone of Frank's to a hundreds of calls to Billy and his gang. And the defense, actually, they claimed Frank had nothing to do with it, that he was being blackmailed by Billy, and basically that they had said it, the reason he was paying them was because they was like, if you don't pay us, we'll shoot your wife. So it's like he was paying not to have her killed. Oh, OK. Yeah. And then all three of Frank's kids testified on his behalf. And in the dateline, both of his daughters are speaking and they are still on his side. They Aww. still believe him. They're like, this is not, I mean, they're grown women. They're like, this is not the father that we know. If you knew him, you would know he didn't do it. And so Frank was Frank was convicted after only two hours. The jury sentenced Frank to life in prison. When they announced the sentence, all three children were angry, and they left the courtroom without saying goodbye to their mother. That's so sad. Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. So,
1: I know. Nancy says she understands why her children believe their father. She says she raised them to love and honor their father. and But over the years, she has slowly began to rebuild her relationship with them. She divorced John before the trial. He has since been charged with the embezzlement from his former employer, too,
0: Do you think that they're all siding with their father because he's got all the money? That is actually very – that's very astute, Jen. Is it? Uh, Well, I mean, I don't know that,
1: but that is what a lot of people on the internet have theorized. Yeah. That he has all this – they think he has all this money hidden that is like overseas. And so they are – yeah. So they're basically like he is – he's the funder. That's so Um, sad. I mean, I think I think the thing is, is that he probably was a really loving and wonderful father, because even Nancy says he was a loving and wonderful husband. And that, you know, that he never they never had fights like they weren't really having. I mean, they're having some like disconnection, but they weren't having problems. She understands it as she's like, I was married to Frank. I loved Frank. Frank loved me. Frank is a good father. But this other side of him, John, is the one who has who did this. Like, that's how she separates it. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the kids too. I don't know. Maybe I just couldn't, can't believe it. I don't know where they're at now in the dateline. They were very, Wait, very much so on the so does Nancy side. think that he did it? No, Nancy knows she, he did uh, he, it. Okay, okay. I mean, she, yes, no. She was like, I. there's no question in my mind. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. But Nancy has made an astonishing recovery. The doctors are so surprised she's had numerous operations to rebuild her face and her eye socket and she now has a prosthetic eye you see pictures of her and you would never know that she had been shot in the face she has a full-time job for first time in her life she's working as a legal assistant legal assistant in a law firm she says i still have the bullet in my lung and i lost the use of my right arm and hand but i'm now able to use it and i type She says that she vigorously celebrates every birthday she has had since the shooting, and she still experiences the joy of singing in the church choir. She said she is moving on. She says, I am thankful once again for how God has saved my life and the healing that's happened in my children's life—it's awesome. She says I am excruciatingly happy.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, you can actually read. She
1: wrote a book about about her experience. I don't know if it's with a co author or not, but it's called it's called The Shooting of Nancy Howard: Making My Way Back to Shore. Wow. Um, she's a really amazing a woman who has a lot of a lot more forgiveness than I would ever have. So um, I think she's a she's a real badass.
0: She sounds like it. Oh my God, that's yeah. crazy. That's an incredible story. I, thank God she's okay. I know um, that. See, that's why I'm like, I, you probably
1: know. Like now, anytime I give graphic details of something that happens, that the person's gonna survive. Right, <laughs> it's like my towel because I'm like, I feel like it's okay to tell those things when you're like, and she came back. Thank God. Oh my <laughs> yeah. God. Thank
0: God she's alive and thank God she's found happiness would she you say excruciatingly, excruciatingly happy wow yeah wow Which sounds
1: painful but
0: <laughs> <sighs> good story sal good Thanks. story. hey sally jen are you ready for a love story is it is it a nice one Well, it's a nice one, but I'm just, (laughs) I'm going to, well, no, uh, it is a nice one, but okay. As you guys all know, on November 8th, Alex Trebek, host of Jeopardy for 35 years, he was an American treasure. He sadly passed away from his year and a half battle with pancreatic cancer. Can
1: I tell you that I went to a live taping of Jeopardy one time. You did? And I did. It was awesome. I was in LA and I was staying with my friend Dave Waite, who's another comedian. He yeah, I know Dave right? Very funny guy. Yeah. yeah so he's very great. Funny. So he's like the best person to go. Stay with when you go to LA because he's like so always up for doing things. I've, I went, everything I've done in LA, you know, we went to go see tapings of other shows. Like, he's just like, let's go do something. So we went to go see Jeopardy and it was the teen tournament. Wow. And it was awesome because we were like, oh, we know all the answers. (laughs) Uh, And, but it was the thing that was so striking is first of all, it's a very small studio where they tape. You think it's like this huge thing, it's very small. But Alex Trebek was just, so seamless like in between takes he was talking to the audience he was making jokes and then as soon as it was time to go back he was right back on I don't think he made I don't think they had to retape anything it was so it was really (sighs) impressive and he was just as charming and fun in between takes as like you want him to be so such a um, pro
0: Such a pro. And I was,
1: yes, very sad to hear that he passed away.
0: And we were all sad to hear about it. So I wanted to do a little tribute to Alex Trebek and tell the love story of Alex and his wife, Jean Trebek. I love it. So my information came from an article for OprahMag.com by Deanna James, an article for People.com by Jillian Telling, an article from SurvivorNet.com. Uh, Wikipedia and then also from Alex Trebek's new book. The book is called The Answer Is Reflections on My Life. <laughs> I love it. I um, love it. Okay. So in 1988, Alex went to a party in New York City that was thrown by a friend. He was single at this time because he had gone through a divorce from his first wife, who was a broadcaster. Her name was Elaine Calais. They had married in 1974, but divorced in 1981. So he was about seven years single at this point and, like, you know, looking. Yeah. So that's when a friend, a mutual friend, introduced Alex to a beautiful model of a woman. She she wasn't a model. She was a part-time bookkeeper for his friends. Her name was Jean, and she was 23 at the time. Just absolutely stunning. But they hit it off immediately. And Alex wrote in his book, with Jean, it just happened. Sometimes you look at someone and you know. I mean, you've heard stories of the people who meet and decide within half an hour, I knew this was going to be the person I'd end up with. With Janie, that's how it was. I wasn't looking for love, but I recognized at a gut level that here was someone who was going to complete me as a human being. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> Somebody saying that about you. (laughs) Um, So he, they hit it off, and he invited her to his home for a first date dinner. Jeannie said that the nerves were real. She said, "I was afraid I'd mispronounce my own own name." You know, because here was he was at this point already on Jeopardy! and was a famous host. Even before Jeopardy! he had hosted other television shows prior to that. So he was just very well-known. He started in Canada and then he moved to the United States. So he was famous in all of North America, really. Right. Uh, so so he was a big deal, but she said that he was actually really down to earth and she said he's much more casual casual than he is on the show. Is what she told people, and so her and Alex uh, they remained friends for a while, just because they had such a big age year difference, more than two decades apart. But she said that there was just this deep sensitivity about him with a gruffy exterior. I kept thinking he's 24 years older than me, but there was something that just kept drawing me to him. And he was also worried about the age difference as well. But after a while, he just said, and this is to quote him, he said, to hell with it. And um, they just knew that they just wanted to be together. So then they started officially dating. I love it. They couldn't stay apart. In September of 1989, on Jean's 26th birthday, Alex ended up giving her a birthday present. And when she opened the box, it was a bolero jacket and some black velvet pants. Uh She was like, cool, thank you. This is great. (laughs) And then he said, "Um, here's a little something else. And then that's when he took out a little wicker box. And inside it... Was a 16 carat sapphire surrounded by diamonds. What? Um, And Jean's, yeah. Jean said, it took my breath away. I mean, it was a rock. (laughs) So, I
1: mean, literally, 16 carats is so many. I think my engagement ring is. A half carat.
0: I think mine <laughs> is too. I don't even know. I'm not a jewelry person. I was just like, Me, Neither. I'll <laughs> yeah. um,
1: I remember I was like, to Ben, I was like, how did you pay for that? Because we were both in grad school. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like, mm, I, don't
1: think you, I don't think you should have spent that much money.
0: Well, considering <laughs> I lose my rings every other week, I'm really grateful that mine was not a 16 carat <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so he proposed to her and of course... She said yes. How do you not say yes to Alex Trebek? So right. <laughs> they decided to get married, and then Alex had to meet Jean's father for the first time, who was actually he was only two years older than Alex was, right? <laughs> And so he wrote in his book, he was running a private investigation firm in New York. So that's intimidating, too. Like her dad's (laughs) a private investigator and like two years older than you. But um, so he had arranged for a boat to host some family and friends for an engagement party for them. And he said that when Jeannie introduced me to him, he took one look at me and said, I guess I won't be calling you son. (laughs) (laughs) But the family loved Alex And they married yeah. in April of 1990 In front of 150 guests At LA's Regency Club Which sounds fancy I've never been But it sounds fancy <laughs> At the wedding When the minister This is um, he, he wrote this in his book He said When the minister said Do you Alex take Jean to be your wife? I said The answer is Yes Yes <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> My favorite is that then he wrote, leave it to me, always trying to go for a laugh, and I got one. Everybody cracked up. God, I love this man. (laughs) And so just three weeks after they were married, um, Jeannie found out that she was pregnant and they were having their first child. So Alex didn't have any children with his first wife, but he did adopt his first wife's daughter, a little girl named Nikki Trebek. So he had a daughter that uh, that yeah. he had adopted. So him and Jean had a son named Matthew, who is now thirty years old, and he's a Manhattan restaurateur. And, and Emily, Jim Matthew, yeah, and. Emily Trebek, uh, who's 27, and she's a Los Angeles realtor. So good they for did, you, Emily. Yeah. So they had two kids, and then Gene and Alex spent their time together. Just they were homebodies. They were not people that like to go out. As Alex right. told people, he said, "I was never into going out to clubs. It just wasn't my scene." And then Gene, being a fellow homebody, they just all they like to do is just watch movies and have dinner at home in bed. Mm -hmm. Alex was one of those dads that just liked to mess around the house, take things apart and put them back together. Yeah. Homebody. And they just really just loved being together. And throughout their marriage, he, he achieved such great success. He was awarded seven outstanding game show host Emmys. He actually won the Guinness book of world records for the most game show episodes hosted by the same presenter for having yeah. hosted, he hosted 6,829 episodes of jeopardy. And that's when he took over the record from Bob Barker, who is the original. Uh, oh, who had who, that. Yeah. sorry, Bob. Mm-hmm. And then sorry, Bob. he was also given a star on the Hollywood walk of fame. And then jeopardy won Peabody Awards. Like he was just, had lots of success and life yeah. seemed perfect, especially to all of his fans watching from the outside. So you can imagine their surprise uh, in March of 2019, Alex on his show spoke to his fans and Revealed that he had been living with stage 4 pancreatic cancer, which he was diagnosed with a month earlier off screen. Yeah. Obviously. And so America was completely devastated. And he told everybody when he addressed his fans, he let everybody know that while the prognosis was not favorable, only 18% of people with this diagnosis survive even a year but he let his fans know that he planned to fight it as hard as he could to beat the odds, all with the help of his wife, Jean. He underwent chemotherapy and radiation. He even did an experimental immunotherapy treatment. And Alex did pass that one-year mark, which doctors were saying that he was doing great and that they expected him to surpass the two-year mark as well. And while things were looking promising, did admit that he had really bad days as well. He said that he experienced severe chemo-induced depression and he wanted to give up on this treatment, but he kept it Going And he attributes all of his strength to his wife, Jean. He told People Magazine that she kept me alive. If it weren't for Jean, I would have put myself out of this a long time ago. Jean, who is also, she's a spiritual healer and a Reiki master. So she is very in touch with her spirituality and the universe. You know, and she says that she uplifted him through his cancer treatments by saying that the universe will always respond when you ask it for help. So she used her spirituality. She said, it comes from a place of love because I want to uplift him. And when I keep my own self buoyed and enjoying my life, I can actually share that with him. He can look at me and have a sense of life is beautiful. My wife is doing something good. So she used her spirituality to maintain a positive outlook and hope. And she shared that with her husband and gave him strength. In a video, Alex Trebek said, I'd be lying if I said the journey had been an easy one. There were some good days, but a lot of not so good days. I joke with my friends that if if the cancer won't kill me, the chemo treatments will. There were moments of great pain, days when certain bodily functions no longer function, and sudden massive massive attacks of great depression that made me wonder if it was really worth fighting for. But I brushed it aside quickly because – That would have been a massive betrayal, a betrayal of my wife and soulmate, Jean, who has given her all to help me survive. And in January of 2020, they had an interview with Michael Strahan on Good Morning America. And Jean said that she had actually, um, she confessed that she had actually asked Alex to stop posting jeopardy to take a break but she also said but i know it's what feeds him he loves doing jeopardy he has his own family over there they're such a close-knit beautiful group of people i think that gives him a lot of support a sense of purpose and that he's just not in bed and he can be productive so yes I'll, like as you know alex continued to tape jeopardy and host jeopardy even while he was going through Such pain. And he also, even during coronavirus, continued taping a socially distant, safe setting, the show, and he taped his last show in October. And you wouldn't know because he was just so strong. He's and yeah. you wouldn't know he concealed it so well. He actually said that sometimes his pain would shoot from a three to 11 during tapings, is what he said. He said, I taped the show and then I made it into the dressing room on one occasion just barely before I writhed in pain and cried in pain. <sighs> So hard, and in April of 2020, I forgot to add that Alex and Jean celebrated their 30th wedding anniversary together. Oh, 30 years! But after a good long fight, Alex decided to stop chemotherapy. He told USA Today in October, "I have lived a good life, a full life, and I'm nearing the end of that life." And after a year and a half of, I'm starting to get teary-eyed. I know it's. <laughs> <I> just- <laughs> um. After a year and a half of battling pancreatic cancer, Alex Trebek passed away on Sunday, November 8th at 80 years old. He got to spend the last day, his last day with his love of his life, Gene Trebek. He had a swing in his backyard that he loved and he actually rebuilt it earlier this year. And in his book, he had said that he wanted his final day to be sitting on that swing next oh. to his wife, Gene sorry, this is emotional. No. <laughs> and so, um, and that's exactly what he did. Oh my and gosh. Um, yeah, before he passed away, he said, and I'm pretty satisfied with my life. But he said that he had one regret. He said, my wife, Jean, and I had been together almost 29 years. This was when he said this was when they were married 29 years. He said, I was thinking about President Bush when he died and all of the comments about his life, about what a nice guy he is. And now him and his wife have been together 73 years. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I had just met Jean in my 20s, we could have had a longer life together. (laughs) Yeah. But he also said, I guess if I met her when I was in my 20s, she wouldn't have been born yet. (laughs) But hey, 29 years is pretty good. In his book, he said that he would Keep this quote in his office that he would look at daily. It was a framed image that Gene had given to him. And it said, it's a line from their favorite movie, Weathering Heights. And the quote said, Whatever our souls are made of, yours and mine are the same. And that's the way I look at our rela- our relationship. We are two souls in one body.
1: Oh, Isn't that that's so amazing?
0: Sorry. You got so emotional,
1: <laughs>
0: it's okay. That's
1: it's very sad. I know I mean, edit this it's, so I sound it's cool. Beautiful.
0: Will you edit <laughs> You so sound so cool. cool. I don't, I don't know. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't but think it's possible, Alex Trebek. This is to you. Good job. Yeah. That was beautiful. Sorry, it was beautiful. Sorry, May we all have a love like that. Yeah. All right. Let's do something okay. dumb and something we love. Let's do it. Can I just say that I've cried more on this podcast than I have in the last 10 years of my life? I only cry when I'm recording this podcast.
1: <laughs> well, I, you're welcome.
0: Because you guys I... make me say nice things at you yeah. or sweet yeah. things or heartbreaking things. I have to say it and then it makes me cry. <laughs> so thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, listeners.
1: You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, so so for something dumb, I think it's uh, you know it's dumb that everybody's having to. The holidays are coming, and I know this week is Thanksgiving, and a lot of people are going to make the choice to be safe and not travel and see family. And I just want you guys to know. Thank you for doing that, if you are, and thank you for making safe choices, if you are spending time with family or friends. Either way, I hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for you, Jen, and I'm thankful for all of our listeners. I am and, thankful
0: for you and our and that's something as well. I love.
1: That's the thing I love. I also. I love, can I talk about a book that I really love? Yeah. I just finished this book called The
0: Moon. Sounds great. (laughs) I can't remember
1: what it was called.
0: Sold. (laughs) You sold me. It's called The Moon. No. It's
1: called um, Goodnight Moon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> uh, i just read and by read i mean listen to this book called moonflower murders Ooh. and it's part of a series by this writer named anthony horowitz and he, it's the second series i've read of his and it's just so it's so good it's so clever and well done and not graphic but it's just really delightful and i recommend it if you're into any kind of detective mysteries um, to am. read any of his book yeah moonflower murders the first one is called magpie murders and he also has one like i think murder is the word or something like that those are really great
0: murder murd, so. murd. Murd <laughs> <laughs> I told you how that bird is the word song y- is my yes least favorite did. song on the planet
1: and I can't wait to play it at your funeral
0: <laughs> I'll allow it I'll allow it it's awesome. like
1: when when they're slowly lowering your body, <laughs> you <cast it laughs> to the ground. Bird, I'm just going to come bird, along with my boombox. Bird is the word. <laughs> and if I'm rich enough, I'm going to hire a choir.
0: <laughs> I'm going to fucking haunt you. Do it, I dare you. All okay. right, I will. What's your something dumb and something you love? So for something dumb, I'm going to have to piggyback once again off of the thing that you said. Yeah, I, this is a hard time. We all thought that we would surely be together for thanksgiving we sh- thought we would surely be together for christmas families are having to spend time apart and not see each other and skype or zoom their thanksgivings and it's it's really hard and some people are choosing to be together and i don't and go you know if you if that's i feel like you have to make it everybody has to make a decision of what's right for them and what's right for their family so yeah. no judgment on our parts. But please wear a mask when you go out in public. That's all I'm saying. Just wear a mask <laughs> when you go out in public.
1: Please wear a
0: mask. Um, We're going to lose our goddamn minds if we I have know. to be at home with our children much longer. And I also discovered this morning when I was on a very cold walk outside that masks are also face warmers. So if mm-hmm. you don't want to wear one for other reasons, if you don't believe in corona, at least Warm your face. Just warm your face. Warm your face. But anyway, for something I love is there's a couple of new podcasts out there. New to me. One is new. One is new and one is new to me. The one that is new to me is called uh, This Is Actually Happening which i never heard of, and I just binged through like a bajillion of them. They're great. I definitely recommend. And then a new podcast that just came out. It's on the Exactly Right Network. It's called I Saw What You Did, Mm -hmm. and it's hosted by Danielle Henderson and a friend from high school, Millie DiCerico. Uh but you're
1: friend from high school? Yeah.
0: We were friends in high school. And no we, we, way. we like stayed friends throughout the years. She used to have a podcast with April Richardson. And so when April oh, Richardson okay. came to town, we performed. Then um, I got to see Millie and her and April had did a live podcast. Their podcast was called Sorted Details, and I, which I think you can still listen to. It's really great and really funny. But I saw what you did is a podcast, it's a film review podcast so they do a double feature they take two movies and then they do a double feature and then they discuss it and it's just like really refreshing to hear which it's funny because I actually went to film school with Millie um, after high school we went to the same film school but she graduated and did something with her life and I have this podcast <laughs> hey I love this that podcast that's good <laughs> but, um, but anyway but Millie's like a uh, She's a film expert, but she's not a awesome. snobby film expert. And okay. uh, same okay. for Danielle. So they're, it's they're really fun to listen to. So great. They're so cool. And uh, so there's two episodes out right now, which I really enjoyed both. And the first episode is the theme was movies based off of true romance crimes. and so uh, it's very much in the dumb love world I guess so uh, check it out highly recommend so 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 good
1: yeah I I downloaded it because I I heard them mention it on my favorite murder so I'm so excited to listen and I didn't know that you had a
0: personal connection so that's awesome well what's crazy is that you know I love the podcast bitch Sush. I've talked about it multiple times which is a real housewives (laughs) podcast I was listening to it and Danielle was a guest on it and then she Start, was talking about how she was they, she was promoting her podcast that was about to launch with her friend Millie and I just thought to myself like oh I wonder if that's Millie Decherico because I know Millie's like you know uh, a film expert and then I saw Millie post about it on social media and I was like that was her it was her It's so awesome world is coming together it's, it's so small we're just small <laughs> world we live in so that's that Um, that's
1: fun that's fun new recs guys so hey so we should tell everybody that next week we are not going to put out a new episode yeah sorry we're taking a week off for Thanksgiving even though it'll be after Thanksgiving you guys get it Mm -hmm. we're not going to record next week so I will probably put out just like an old episode um, if you guys want to re-listen to it that's great but we're not going to do a new episode we'll see you in two weeks yeah back excited we'll be refreshed and a little our bit holidays fatter. a little bit fatter but much happier and in the meantime i just want to say we are so thankful for you guys thank you for continuing to support us for continuing to listening thank you everybody who has joined us on patreon if you've ever sent us a message or liked a post or just listened spent your time with us That means so much to us. It makes it all worth
0: the work that we put into it worth it. So we are grateful for you. Thank you so much. We are so thankful. Thank you guys so much for listening. We dumb love you so much. And get out there and do something dumb for love.